Welcome back to the Gibology Impact Series podcast, sharing the inspiration and success of social entrepreneurs and change makers around the world. My name is Olivia Du, and today we are very honored to have Heather McKay, the Executive Director of the Maasai Girls Education Fund, here with us today. The Maasai Girls Education Fund's mission is to improve the literacy, health, and economic well-being of Maasai women and their families in Kenya through the education of girls and their communities. MGEF provides scholarships to girls who would otherwise never be able to go to school or who would have to drop out to be married. Every scholarship is continuous until each student has the knowledge and skills to enter the workforce in Kenya. Their community, community education program addresses the social customs and cultural beliefs that prevent girls from getting an education. Welcome to Givology, Heather. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, too. Um, we can get started. Can you begin by introducing how your organization got started and what is your mission? Um, in August of 1999, our founder, uh, MGF's founder, Barbara Lee Shaw, went to Kenya to document, uh, do a photography project to document the Maasai culture. Um, during this week-long project, she met two little girls who would be the inspiration of Maasai Girls Education Fund. Uh, the first little girl was Nantanine, who stole her heart when she kind of kept peeking her head around her, her mother's uh, uh, skirt, looking at her, and then eventually came running up. Uh, to her and uh, did the usual Maasai bow of the head, which um, Maasai children do to adults. And, and when they do this, you touch the top of their head. It's a sign of respect. And um, you actually, the Maasai culture does this all through their adulthood life too. They always will bow their head to their elders to be touched on the top of the head. Um, after uh, Barbara touched Natanin's head, she ran away and smiled and, and she just kind of captured Barbara's heart. Um, as Barbara <clears throat> continued her week-long um, photo shoot, she realized the fate of Nantanine, which was that she would probably never learn to read or write, and she would be circumcised at the age of 12 or 13 and married off to a man uh, her father chooses. She would then have many children and would live a life of, uh, uh, you know, um, without that uh, poverty and uh, she would uh, manual labor and would have no very little rights and everything would depend on what her husband allowed her to do. So Barbara decided to ask the Nantanin's family if she could uh, sponsor her education. And her best friend was traveling with her on this photo shoot and her, she wanted to also uh, sponsor a little girl named Simpeo who she had met on her journey. So both families agreed and both Nantanin and Sampeo were the first girls in their families to uh, go to school, to primary school. When Barbara came to the US, she asked several friends and they be also became interested in sponsoring children. And she decided to go ahead and start the um, Maasai Girls Education Fund and became uh, in 2000, um, a 503C nonprofit. And the mission that she, for the Maasai Girls Education Fund is to prove the literacy, health, and economic well-being of Maasai women and their families in Kenya through the education of girls and their communities. Um, that's how MGF began and uh, continues to this day, 21 years later. Wow, that's amazing. Um, it's really interesting to hear about how education is such an important part of anyone's life. Could you perhaps elaborate on the need for more accessible and quality education, especially in areas such as Kenya? Well, um, Messiah Girls 
are denied an education. They, they may make it through a primary school education up to class eight, but uh, very few do. Um, and even fewer go on to secondary school. Uh, basically, they have few rights and they're forced to undergo female genital cunning and early marriage. Often they're married off, as we said earlier, to older men who have many wives. Um, and the children, they just have children to add to the children. You could have uh, a man there that will have 35 children at one oh, time. Wow. And, yeah, and five wives. And they were a, a nomadic society that had their wealth with the livestock. Um, but with the droughts and the changing of, of climate change and the cultural change there, they have lost a lot of their livestock. So they still continue with their tradition of marrying several wives and having as many children, you know, children, many children, they can no longer support them. They can, they have a hard time even feeding these children. If there is money for, for any sort of schooling, it usually goes for the boys. Um, so these, most of the, the, the wives and husbands are completely illiterate. So they have no other skill of making any money. Um, so the girls are married off as the dowry because that uh, is their value to the family is the dowry that they will receive of, you know, maybe a few cows or a few goats. Um, what we have strived to, to teach these people is that if they send their girls to school and they come back as teachers or nurses or even doctors or lawyers, or um, they actually are worth far more to the family at this point because women can usually will come back to their communities and give to their communities. Um, if I could give a quick story, um, one of our uh, students way back, Samantoy, she, her father did not want her to, to get an education. And when she came to MGF, her father disowned her and she wasn't allowed to come home. Samantoy uh, went on to, to continue her education and became a nurse. And she came back to her village and her first thing that she did was, was uh, buy her father a big easy chair, which her father proudly sat in <laughs> out, outside of his hut and became, this became a huge status in his village that he had this easy chair and he uh, learned that, oh my gosh, look how much she, she is now. She's coming back and she's supporting the family. She's helping to rebuild the house. She's got me this easy chair that has made me, you know, such high status in my village. And he went on to tell his sons that they, he wanted them and to definitely educate all of his girls because they are much more value than a few cows. So this is kind of our, you know, what we look at to see how it can change so many lives to educate every boys and girls. Um, but the, the girls are the ones that are mostly denied an education over there. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I saw on your website, it says that you have three main ways that you benefit the Maasai community, and that is the scholarship program and capacity building. Could you go in depth about where these programs take place and how they function to benefit the community? Um, well, we started as, as I said, as a scholarship um, program where we sent girls to, to boarding schools um, in, the, in the local area. These kids are... Um, Basically, we have a huge network. The staff is Kenyan, is Maasai, and we are uh, very much involved with the, many of the chiefs in the area, the pastors, the school teachers, and such. And we have board members, well, let me back up for a second. There are, we are in the Kajiado County of Kenya, which is about the size of New Jersey. Um, and it has seven divisions. And in each division, we have two board members. 
We have the original board members, which were older. They, most of them were educators, school teachers, Maasai women. Um, and then two years ago, we were able to add actually alumni to each division. So now we have two board members per division. And one is an alumni of MGF and the other is, an, is a teacher. And to, they are the ones that are the chiefs and the pastors and the teachers and the and various people in the areas and the divisions will come to with a child that they've seen is being denied an education due to poverty or is being threatened to be married off. And these, these uh, board members bring them to our office and have them fill out an application. And as soon as we can, well, then our staff will go out and check uh, to make sure that all that they say is true and such. And um, then when we are able to, we, we, um, when we have a sponsor, we put them to school. Um, and then once you are accepted into MGF, we stay with them all the way through uh, post-secondary school or vocational school, whichever they choose to do. Uh, we have had a doctor and we have two more girls that are studying to be doctors. We've had a lawyer that graduated two years ago and we have uh, lots of teachers and nurses and all these kids are, um, are women are uh, going back to their communities and, and staying with MGF and being a part of MGF and contributing and talking to their younger MGF's sisters and helping them navigate through uh, the difficulties because they completely understand what these girls are going through because they've lived it. This is, you know, this is their community. Um, later, uh, Barbara decided in 2010 that she needed to reach the, the only way to change the tradition was to, the change had to come within the Maasai community. So she decided to start workshops that would go to primary schools and talk to these, the girl, they would separate the girls and the boys so that they felt, you know, at ease and could speak uh, as they felt and talk to them about the, the barriers that keep kid, girls from, from getting an education, um, such as the cultural practices of F, you know, female genital cutting or forced marriages and early pregnancies and health. And this continued this cycle of poverty. And they also talked about how to improve and support education for girls. Um, then they realized that they probably should should go to the elders and talk to them too in the same villages because if they're teaching the, the younger generation, the, the older generation needed to also understand the benefits of educating their, their daughters. Uh, so we started the LSWs in the in the same area with the elders, the elders. And that is really very interesting because we we separate the, the women and the men, they talk and then they come together, the women and the men, and talk about the the various problems and and issues that they're having. And that's where you really learn uh, how things are changing. Uh, an example is that a lot of the, the Maasai used to be all rural. Now they're in, some of them are in areas that have become urbanized. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're approaching a whole different problem that they're not used to, uh, which is having their culture in an urban society. Um, so we kind of have had to change some of our stuff to not, some of our teachings, not to just deal with the urban, you know, the uh, people out in the Maasai land, but also who are dealing with a whole new situation of having kids in an uh, urban setting. An example is that the Maasai, once a girl has reached and had her period, the men, the fathers uh, are not really expected to, to be seen speaking to them very long, or it implies that something else is going on. Mm -hmm. so, 
And also the mothers that they've decided they're adults and they no longer should advise them on things. And this is kids that are 13, 14 years old. Um, and they're realizing in that in the urban setting, you know, these kids are, are, are kind of flailing, you know, they're, they're getting involved in drugs or they're getting involved in, in prostitution because they don't have the guidance. So we have to kind of address this issue and say, you have to help these kids, you know, uh, you know, in this new world. So that's what that does. And then we have a women's business, which takes 30 women, uh, has a three-day training on how to open a business uh, and how, and then we put them into groups, six groups of five. And we learned over the years that if we put them in groups, it was easier because if somebody happened to be sick or a child was sick, the business, somebody else could take over for that day. It didn't have to be, um, you know, somebody, they could work together to help the business grow. Um, then they choose a business that they want to pursue and they talk to everybody and kind of present a little business plan. And uh, the group says whether or not they think it is viable. And if they all think it will work in that area, then, the, then we give them a stipend and go with them to buy and start their business. Um, we've had 300 um, women's business in, in operation before COVID, <laughs> uh, 270 of them functioned. After COVID, we, will, we need to go out and, and, and assess and see who still survived COVID because many places were closed down during COVID. Um, as far as the LSWs, I didn't, I didn't mention that we have had 16,000 people go through our LSW workshops. Wow. Um, so those are the three. We have one other workshop that we do at the end of the year, um, school year, which is in December, which is a mentoring workshop for all of our students and a parent annual meeting. And that's when we bring all of our students together and the younger ones um, are, are mentored by the older ones. And we talk with the older ones, you know, who are appropriate age about also the issues of saying no, being able to say no, because many, many of the Maasai girls are taught when they grow up that they can't say no to, to advances from men. And so we talk about how early pregnancy and saying no is, is fine and all about the, um, the Kenyan laws that actually, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, say it's, it's against the law to marry, uh, be forced married and have the female genital cutting. Um, and so, so those are the programs that we do. Awesome, yeah, you mentioned um, about COVID-19. I was just wondering if you could go into a little bit more in depth about how it's impacted operations and if you did anything in your organization to overcome the challenges presented by the pandemic. Um, well, COVID affected, well, the world pretty pretty harshly, but uh, Kenya was hit pretty hard, especially the Maasai culture, because um, all of their markets were shut down, and this was the only way that many of them made their the meager living that they made to begin with was mm -hmm. making beads or selling coal or milk from their cows or goats, etc. So that was all shut down, and the students were all sent home March of 2020, and they were kept at home. Uh, until October, which sent back only the kids that were graduating from primary school, which would be class eight, and the kids form four or seniors in high school. They were the only ones that returned because Kenya wanted to try to get those people that were to move on to their next um, school. Mm -hmm. So they, they did that. Everybody else didn't return until January of 2021. Um, Kenyan school year starts in January and, and goes that way it, it does a calendar year it doesn't do like we do in the u.s um so what they did to kind of 
swing everybody back around because they'd only done one term, most kids, except for the, the ones that went back in October, they had only done one term of 2020 and there's three terms. So they did this kind of quick, um, not quick, but they scheduled the terms to try to slowly get them back to normal by January of 2023. So an example is that we did two, term two and three of 2020 uh, during the winter and spring, and we just started term one of 2021 at the end of July. So we had all these girls at home. We had families that were having a, a difficult time uh, uh, feeding themselves, much less the extra mouth that, that they were used to having away from at boarding school. Uh, so we knew that our, our students were in danger of not only starvation, but of being married off. Uh, simply because they couldn't feed them. Um, and also getting pregnant, and, you know, because they were around uh, at home with nothing to do with boys. And, you know, their, their tradition is to not say no. And it's hard to keep teenagers uh, who have nothing to do. So uh, how we kind of went, went after this problem was that we decided that, that the only way to keep these girls safe and to keep these in fed was to give a small stipend to each family of, of, our, of our students. So all of our, we wrote to all of our sponsors and said, this is uh, what we, we think we ought to do. And we had a, a fundraiser and um, basically gave stipends to 90, over 95 students, families uh, from, um, I think it was May, we started May or June, it was May, all the way to December, um, which definitely worked because these girls became the only source of income these families had. Uh, so it was not in their best interest to, to marry them off by any, mm -hmm. <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. So that kept many of them, most of them safe. We had one or two that, that, were, that did get married off, but they actually, we had two that we were called the Lucy, who's our managing director in Kenya, were, were called and said they think they're being married off. One of them had been married off. And um, so Lucy and the staff uh, got, you, 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 there was a travel ban, but you could go a certain amount of um, distance for a few hours. And so they went directly to her house and found out that it was true that they had married her off. And um, they contacted the local chief and, and, the, and they, it's illegal to do this. So we did, we were able to, to uh, help her get out of that marriage and go back to school. Um, and then we had another girl that was being threatened to be married off. And once again, we went to the chief and he intervened and uh, her father said he would not marry her off. So we had a very, we have a very close network of communication between our staff, our alumni, our board members and, and chiefs and such that we were kept in, in very good contact with them. Um, so we also had the college kids that we have, which is, was about 33 at the time of COVID hit or that were in post-secondary school. Uh, they went online. So, and the only way to have our students continue was to provide them with laptops and internet access. So we had a fun, uh, fundraiser for that and were able to get the laptops and um, uh, keep them in school. Uh, so that's, we're still obviously dealing <laughs> with COVID, <Yeah>. but <laughs> uh, they, at the moment, they still are in school um, and they, they are having a Delta outbreak, uh, but they've managed to stay in school and we're just keeping our fingers crossed that 
you know, they are uh, able to continue through the year. Um, and so that's how we have been dealing with, uh, with COVID, which has not been fun for anybody. Yeah, definitely. But I think it's really um, inspiring how you guys are still able to um, try to help the girls even across the world through travel bans and things like that. So um, definitely amazing. Um, I also saw on your website that the um, organization has worked with 110 Maasai girls from primary school through post-secondary education since 2000. And 17 students have graduated from these post-secondary schools and are working supporting their families. Could you detail how you track the progress of your work? And are there any special stories that you particularly um, really like? Um, well, first, let me say that you did actually point out that I need to update our website. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, had 254 Maasai girls go through school through our program, attend school through our program. Um, we have 95 alumni, most with the degrees from post-secondary institutions. Um, wow. and we have 137 active girls right now, students right now. Um, so yes, I need to go update that. I think that was done <laughs> in like 2000, oh, I can't even remember, 16 or 15, something like that. Um, but how we monitor them is that we're in uh, constant contact with the, you know, their schools and with them uh, to, to keep track of their grades. Uh, they come to us with any of their problems. They know that they can come to us with any of their issues. And the reason they know this is because, you know, all, all of our staff and because of the, the alumni and the older girls, they, they know they can talk to them about anything because these kids have been through this. You know, they, they themselves know the culture, they know the traditions, and they know um, they don't have to feel like they're talking to somebody who who judge them in any way. Um, so... We keep on top of their grades. We know all the schools. We know all the teachers. Um, the alumni keep in touch with their neighbors that, that uh, you know, the people that are in their district that they know that go to MGF. Um, and the staff is constantly going and visiting homes, visiting parents, keeping up to date with grades, et cetera. Um, the, the, as I said, the alumni are very active, uh, which helps us see who's, who has, um, you know, once they've graduated, how many of them are working, how many of them getting jobs. Of course, it, during COVID, this has changed um, a bit because the jobs are not doing great. So we do have, we have a lot of kids that have graduated in the last, during this period who are unable to get work because there is no work right now that nobody's hiring. But it, and a good example is that we have a lot of school teachers, a lot of nurses, um, but the school teachers, even though school was out, the government paid their, you know, paid their salaries. So, and often our, our MGF uh, alumni were the only people working in their entire families. Uh, so this money helped them survive. And it's just another, you know, another reason to, for education is that these kids, these girls came to the rescue of their families and were supporting their entire families. Um, so, and at the mentoring workshop, we learn of everything that's going on with them because we have little groups of talk where they can talk and, and, and even they can, we have a lot of the alumni come back like last year that, well, the last year I was able to go, which wasn't the, this year, but the prior year. We have uh, Dr. Gloria, as they call her, our doctor, and she was able to answer any sort of health questions that the girls had. Um, we have Nancy, who's a lawyer now, and, and she was able to talk to them about their legal rights. And so we had the nurses come and talk to various things about hygiene. 
Um, and these kids also know that they can talk to any of these girls. We have a couple of business girls that have majored in business. So our younger girls can go and talk to them and say, hey, you know, what did it entail to become, um, you know, get a degree in, in business? Or what did it entail to become a doctor? And they kind of learn um, uh, the passion that they may have. They talk to these girls and, and think, think about whether or not what they have to be strong at, what they need to work at, and these kind of things. So that's great. Yeah, it seems like the organization has this community that continuously helps each other out and um, comes back to each other. Um, do you have any plans for the future that you could share? Uh, well, we're continuing with our program, you know, our scholarship program. Every year we, we try to add at least one, one person from each division. And then mm -hmm. often we get rescues that we have to, to work, be, you know, work fast at and get them out of the situations that they're in. Um, we will continue to go back doing the, the life skills workshop, the LSWs, which, um, uh, you know, at the time we were not allowed to do them because there wasn't, we weren't allowed to, uh, the school was closed, first of all. And second of all, they, they aren't allowed to, you know, gather in groups like this. Um, so we plan to get back at, at working to get a grant to start our LSWs or life skills workshop back up. The next thing we need to do is we need to go out and we started to do this right before when it, uh, right before Delta hit, we, we had the little period in like May and June, which looked promising. Uh, so some of our staff ventured out to, to start talking to the women's business to see who survived um, and to see if we can get them, you know, help them get back on their feet if they uh, um, haven't, ha are having a hard time. And so all of this um, we will re return to once uh, we are able to, to get together in groups and travel and do all the things post COVID. <laughs> but the scholarship continues during COVID. Great, yeah. Um, I guess my last question for today is how can listeners get involved to help the Maasai Girls Education Fund? Um, well, one, one thing you can do is sponsor a girl, uh, which is uh, for post primary and secondary girls is uh, 1200 a year, which you can, or a hundred a month. This provides everything that she, she needs. It's all inclusive, boarding school, supplies, um, any sort of medical issues she may have. Uh, the other thing you could do is support a workshop. You could spread the word uh, about uh, MGF, the Side Girls Education Fund, or you can ad advocate for girls' education, um, which regardless of if that is directly beneficial to us, it is the mission, which is to educate girls mm -hmm. uh, throughout the world, especially those that are denied in education. Definitely, yeah. Um, I speak for all the listeners and everyone from Govology when I say that we're really inspired by your mission and everything that you've done for these girls in Kenya. And um, yeah, we encourage all of our listeners to definitely check out the website. Um, if you can um, help donate or help with the fundraisers that they have. And um, yeah, thank you, Heather, so much for coming today and for speaking to us about your experience and your stories. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure.